0: I feel like these days the end of all self-help is in Buddhism, but it seems to say that all is nothing and we must realize that we are nothing. I find it depressing after working hard to improve myself. It just leads to this depressing result and nothing, literally. What do you think? Many thanks for the sessions, by the way. Really great in these times. Much appreciated. Well, thank you. You're very welcome. It is very true, and I think we've all noticed it, that uh, Eastern thought has greatly influenced um, psychology, uh, as well it should, for so many reasons, because generally speaking, uh, these are schools that have been around for hundreds of years, often thousands of years, and there's just a lot of work, I suppose, has gone into thinking about some of these topics now, that doesn't mean that we should just drag and drop them into our own ways of thinking uh, without scrutiny, but uh, it makes sense, I suppose, to look at any big uh, big deposits of wisdom like that that have been accumulated over time. And what's interesting about many of these traditions is that they are real living traditions as well. They're not just an old book. They, they also, in many cases, are practical traditions, uh, schools of thought, schools of practice that people are practicing today, which is really valuable to be able to to check in on that. But as a starting point, although it is true that there's a, a, a lot of Buddhism out there, and that's great, much good stuff there to look at, do remember that there are many, many, many schools. So within Buddhism itself, there are many different schools that certainly don't all have the same perspectives. And even within those schools, there are different uh, a- a- adherents and, and, and different uh, streams of thought within it and lively debate often between different practitioners. And that's very healthy. And I think that's what we want from any, uh, any living practice. The other uh, thing, though, to appreciate is that outside of Buddhism, there are many traditions that have similar roots particularly Vedic traditions. There are a variety of schools uh, within the, the, the Vedas generally, which is a very broad category uh, within Vedanta, a number of schools, Dvaita, Advaita, Vishishtadvaita. Many of these schools, again, look them up if you want to get in more depth. There's a lot to, to go into. But these are schools that uh, take very different perspectives on the same topic areas. They often have similar metaphysics, in other words, the idea of mind and body and you know understanding consciousness. So some of the same structures, uh, although they, those vary a lot too, but even within some of the same terminology, they'll go different places with it and make different assumptions about what to do and what you're trying to get to and how to get there. And. Of course, modern meditative practice has a lot of the time being secularized uh, completely. So a lot of what we use in modern psychology uh, is not religious in any specific sense, but of course it's often come from those traditions. But what's interesting is that even within those traditions, some of them are theistic, some of them are atheistic, some of them are polytheistic, and some of them are secular. There are any number of variants out there. And that I think is good because very often when you have these various streams of thought, it kind of makes you appreciate that, yeah, whatever version or simplified version I've gotten, great. I can really value that and appreciate it. But it is maybe just one way of understanding this and practicing it. And what's probably key in all of this is, you know, finding your own path and seeing it as a a real-time journey rather than just a set of truths to be learned off. Because A, they mightn't be true. B, if they were true, they might have been misunderstood or mistranslated. And C, even if they were absolutely true, you probably need to learn them for yourself rather than just learn them off-rote. That's the whole point of a practice. You know, it's like reading a book which tells you a fabulous way to be fit. Brilliant, but that doesn't make you fit. You need to practice exercising and eating well, etc., to make that a reality in your life. So outside of of, of the Eastern approaches, there, there's things like Taoism as well, of course, also Eastern, and... Some of the uh, slightly closer to home uh, approaches, uh, if you're if you're based in Europe, of um, of ancient uh, Greek thought, of Stoicism, of phenomenology. So there's lots and lots and lots of of different methods and schools, uh, and they're always evolving and developing in their own way. So I think that's the first point. With this is. You've got lots of great options out there, so don't feel that you have to go along with a particular methodology or conclusion if it isn't a fit for you. Now, of course, that being said, we shouldn't resist conclusions if they're arising in our own practice, but nor should we necessarily assume they're correct before we start that practice. And this is, again, where individual support can come in in an individual basis to explore some of what's coming up for you and and to make a bit of sense of it. Now in terms of the idea of nothingness, again, I'm not going to proclaim to be an expert in any of the number of schools that I've just mentioned. I'm not sure if that's even possible. There are so many of them and they've they've such depth of thought. But just on a broad level, I think it's important to recognize that even nothingness can be open to some interpretation. And while the idea of I suppose, a void, or, or, or just not being in some sense is, is, is suggested on, on one end of the spectrum. Kind of on the other end of the spectrum, some practitioners translate nothing more along the lines of just literally the words, no thing. So in other words, not being an object, not being particularly fixed or stuck. And the idea there is to point back to consciousness. So it's a bit like in, in my own practice, uh, I, I use the, that saying quite a bit. You are not your thoughts. So you might say, well, that's negative, you know, I'm, I'm not that. But of course, the point there is to recognize that, yeah, the mind does come and go with various thoughts and ideas, but but you're still there. Like the example of watching a film on TV, you, know, you can watch one film, then another film. They're very different films, but you're still there through both films. So we're kind of looking for the constancy, the thing that persists. So your consciousness would seem to be that. And that's back to good old Rene Descartes, cogito ergo sum, I think, therefore I am. Now, some people find the phrasing of that problematic and that's understandable. And of course, we have various ways of constructing these ideas. But I think that basic insight though, you know, there is something to it. Hold on a minute, there's thinking going on, who's thinking, what is that space? What is that consciousness that all of this is happening in? And it's not just the mind, take the body. Gosh, that changes over time. (laughs) If you think of what it's like to have a baby's body and then to have a young child's body and then to have an adult body, bodies change. Every several weeks, the skin cells completely change and many of the other cells change as well over varying periods of time. So that's really interesting to consider you know well this changes but i seem to be still here in some continuous way so mind changes body changes so you might take the approach that well consciousness is 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 kind of the key point and if you have more of a materialistic perspective you'll believe that that emerges from the environment and the body that we have. If you have more of a spiritual perspective, you'll maybe see that as being a bit more primary or even if you have an idealistic perspective, which is not quite a spiritual perspective, but it's the perspective that consciousness is primary and phenomenal experiences emerges within it. So again, I'm not going to do this justice and I'm certainly not going to try and suggest which of these is, is true and which of these you should be pursuing. But it is interesting to note, I suppose, that people do construct the same thing in different ways. Now, for our purposes, and my own specialization is just practically getting through the day. I'll leave it to you to make the big metaphysical conclusions about uh, ultimately who you are and where you're going. That's, that's up to you. But in terms of just getting through the day-to-day, that idea of no thing or not identifying too much in a fixed way Is rather useful. Again, you don't, if you don't want to, need to go so far as complete self annihilation. A lot of the time, I think the simplest, quickest way of interpreting that is self concept rather than self. So it's not that you need to stop existing, but in a weird way, it's almost the opposite. It's that you need to start existing a bit more, or maybe more accurately, recognize that you already exist. Because what often happens is we get too much of a crystallized picture of who we are. Maybe based on our experiences in childhood and what other kids in school told us or what our parents told us, even with the best of intentions, or what our teachers told us, or what we just sort of picked up from a combination of those experiences. We have this kind of idea of who we are as a person and we hold on to that too tightly. Now that isn't really who we are. That's a picture of who we are. It's like having a map and looking at the map and going, okay, this is the place. It isn't, it's just a map. And a map, even if it's accurate, is very often limited. And of course, you can add to the environment. So what we don't really want to do is navigate using an old GPS system that's very much out of date. Even if it was correct at one point, it may just be out of date now uh, and it mightn't have been that accurate to begin with. So that idea of taking self concept and annihilating that and getting rid of it has some merits but even then i'd argue that we wouldn't want to take that too far because self concepts are still useful we kind of need them in a way to navigate just as we might need that map so i think the main thing we want to do is just not take it too terribly seriously because if you think that map is everything it may not be what we want to do is practice being a bit more mindfully aware of the world that we're in and going, what's going on? And then by all means, we can form maps. We can kind of develop habits or patterns of behavior, and that may be very useful to do, but we just won't take the map terribly seriously. It'll be kind of a rough sketch, like a bit of a to-do list that will help us form expectations and do a bit of planning. But We won't make the mistake of mistaking the map for the territory, as the old saying goes. So within that uh, space, another way of saying this is to be, process focused rather than terribly object focused. So um, uh, Heraclitus in ancient Greece is one of the philosophers who spoke about this and uh, he's famously quoted as saying you never step in the same river twice or words to that effect you never step in the same river twice and that's because when we take a river like the River Liffey here in Dublin or any other great body of water and we name that body of water we give it a name we kinda know that that's a bit ridiculous because you know it's never the same water twice it's always fluctuating and it's varying but it's very useful to give it a name because then we can navigate and we can say I'm gonna go over there or maybe we need to do a bit of work to help the river we need to do a bit of work on the banks so those labels are very helpful if we don't take them too terribly serious and the other I suppose advantage that can come from not holding on to self-concept too strongly is that there is maybe a greater recognition then of interconnectedness. You know, so we don't live in silos completely isolated and separate from each other. We're far more interconnected than we often appreciate. So it can be really nice, I think, to take that more extended view then and to say, well, you know, what are lungs without oxygen to breathe? Who am I as a person? Without other people to have relationships with. And that includes even if you're alone because you're still in a world and you, know, you still are having social experiences after you walk away from contact with other people. That's all part of it too. So a massive topic area. You can decide for yourself what the ultimate nature of self actually is. Whether you wanna go a little bit more strong and you wanna say that, yeah, Nothingness, or some form of annihilation of self on a deeper level is what's going on, or maybe a softer version of it, where more letting go of self-concept is maybe what the goal is, so we're not holding on to the thoughts so that we can actually be who we really are a little bit more. There are so many philosophical debates on this, sometimes called... Uh, personalism versus impersonalism, uh, Dvaita Advaita within uh, Vedanta, and so many other debates within this topic area. They're all absolutely fascinating, and I think there's a huge amount to be learned from exploring the topic area. But I think the key is a bit of leadership is useful. Whatever happens to be the case, how are you going to approach each day? How are you going to navigate it? And I think to explore for yourself what works for you there is an important part of the journey. If you found this valuable, do like, subscribe, and share. And what's your experience? Do you have any questions or topic suggestions? You can contribute in the comments, on social media using hashtag BodyMindSelf, or at jfl.com.